This is Christine Brown, and while I have to listen to this podcast as my motherly duty, you have the choice not to. My sons, and of course Michael, sometimes say some naughty things when they're trying to be funny, but really, they're just being stupid. You still want to listen? Go right ahead. I am not your mother. All right. So this is, like we talked about, the super special episode. We finally got into our first Super Bowl of the Dynasty. And with us today, we have, uh, no offense to our other guests, but probably our most famous guest, I would say, uh, <laughs> former Patriots linebacker and three-time Super Bowl champion, Matt Chatham. Matt, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on. This is fun, and I'm glad it worked out. This is uh, quarantine time, so we've all got a lot, of, a lot of time on our hands. Yes, we do. Uh, it has been, it's been okay so far, at least for me. I don't know how it's been for you, Matt, but uh, it's actually starting to finally drag this past week. Yeah, I think we're kind of reaching that point, right? Where it's kind of the 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 monotony of it all. Uh, I I was having a blast with family time. We we're having a great time uh, getting closer and spending more time than we otherwise wouldn't have. But we're, I think we're running out of stuff to do. It's like I can you can only you can only watch so many movies. <laughs> you know, you can only make so many different meals, and then it's like, okay, what else? What else is out there? Yeah, that's exactly. Well, I thought it was a podcast. We were rewatch every game from the dynasty. Yeah. This podcast yeah. really worked. <laughs> it was the perfect yeah. timing for it. Yeah. If only we had planned it that way. But uh, yeah. yeah, I thought it'd get easier once the weather got nicer, but now I just sit outside and do nothing instead of sitting inside and doing nothing. <laughs> just literally running out of shit to do. There you go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I wanted to get into the, the Super Bowl 36 in 2000, but first I want to kind of, just touch a bit on on you and your your journey as a Patriot, because you it, from we've talked about this on our podcast kind of throughout this season. But you're kind of that true Belichickian success story of that the the kind of system that Belichick has has put in place over these past twenty years of of players a lot like yourself. Um, and yeah, I. I would put myself sort of in that group of uh, uh, that 2000 team. So my, I'll do my, my bio real quick. Yeah. Uh, I was actually a Ram initially. I was an undrafted free agent from the University of South Dakota. That's an FCS program for, for New England listeners. So we're similar to – it was Division Two at the time. It's it's one AA or FCS now. But that's comparable to like a UNH or Maine or, yeah. or UMass at the time or something like that. So it's that size school. Uh, I was an undrafted guy. Uh, I was like – you know, sort of in that realm of preseason All-American heading into your senior season. Uh, maybe a guy like that has a chance at the NFL, but you really kind of don't know. You know, you're kind of just on the cusp of uh, being really good at this level. What does that mean? Do I have a chance at the next? All that kind of stuff. And I went to my version of the Senior Bowl at FCS level. They have this. It no longer exists, but it was called the Snow Bowl back then. Oh. It was inside North Dakota State's. Uh, North Dakota State is. Uh, they've actually had ESPN Game Day has gone there in the last couple of years, but yeah, they're kind of a wagon, right? It's, in, it's insane. State. It's, <laughs> yeah, because uh, me and Greg it, both it, went to UNH, so we kind of have an idea of the. I did. Okay. Yeah. One oh my lord, North North Coast State year after year after year. I mean, I, I I've told this on you know many a media medium, I guess, since I've been doing this stuff. But uh, playing at North Coast State is as cool of an environment as anything I ever saw in the NFL. It's smaller, obviously, but it's it's like an arena football game. It's like tight on top of you. It's wild. Um, but anyway, so I went up to that that senior bullish kind of game for the small schools. And uh, performed pretty well, but I kind of jacked up my MCL. Uh, came away with a little sprain, played through it. But uh, in the sort of workouts after, I was not combine ready. And I was a combine alternate anyway at the time. So you really need the testing against bigger time guys. And, you know, the exposure to bigger time players to sort of make that case. And, I, you know, I was able to do the bench. And I was able to do some of the stuff. They used to have a leg press thing, like a leg cybex test like type thing yeah. uh, that was part of combine testing but there's only a few things i could do and that hurts you so then i go on you know so i mean i think that's part of the story i go undrafted um i thought i was going to be a middle or late round guy and then i don't get drafted i'm offered a deal by the rams colts and browns kind of just through my agent's guidance choose the rams in part because we thought that was the most vulnerability outside linebacker kind of thing where maybe you could make a roster hmm. And uh, I was there in 99, and uh, that was my rookie season. That's the year the Rams won the Super Bowl. And uh, I was – it's a really goofy story. Uh, Leonard Little was a, a, a you know, really good player for them, a first-round draft pick the year before in 98. Yeah. Uh, and Leonard had unfortunately gotten in that uh, 
the deal with the uh, the drunk driving accident. Oh yeah, we talked and about that. Had, yeah. Yeah. So Leonard, and so that's my position. I think that was in part some of my agents thinking at the time about why that would be a great place to go. Looks like Leonard, uh, you know, their the starter won't be there kind of thing. So uh, maybe the veteran, the veteran moves into that spot. You can slide in and win a backup job. That's a great opportunity. But uh, that off season in 99, uh, it was announced that uh, it was time served and, you know, different times in 1999. And now, obviously, uh, you know, if, some, <laughs> if you were an accident, you're involved in an accident like that, you're probably going to miss a year, if not more. Uh, but back then, it was, I think it had happened late in the season in 98, and he sat for those games. And then they made that decision later that summer. So it was a weird situation, not like Belichick type stuff, but they, they you know, where he keeps it cryptic and, yeah. you know, you just, you never know where you're standing as a team with the Rams. Uh, my position coaches came to me and was like, well, okay. Uh, Leonard's back and uh, he's a really huge part of what we do. And that means you're basically not going to probably make the team now. It's like, dude, it's like July. So, you know, we hadn't even gotten to preseason games that we had inter squad stuff, I think with Tennessee or something like that. Um, but I pretty much learned before even getting to the preseason games that, Hey, you're, you're fighting for a practice squad job. And in my head, I'm like, that's bullshit. You know, like I want to, <laughs> I could, I could have gone, I could have gone to Cleveland. I could have gone yeah. to Indy. I'm a, I can make a roster here. Um, so I, I did a little petulant thing, I guess, in retrospect and was like, all right, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go through these two a days, uh, for no, without an option opportunity to actually make a team. So I left, uh, which is weird. And so, you know, I went to Charlie army who was the GM at the time and I had a pretty good relationship with coach Vermeil. I mean, I think he liked me. That was one of the places much like new England that keeps a lot of uh, undrafted guys, London Fletcher is one example, oh, but yeah the Rams brag about how many undrafted guys they bring up much like, you know, the Patriots do. Hmm. They, they find a lot of, a lot of those kinds of gems type idea. But I went to him, I was like, man, I, I just want to play in the NFL. And it looks like there's no opportunity here. He says, Oh, but you can be on practice squad and eventually move up. And for a kid in 99 coming from small school practice squad to me meant like hold a bag and, you know, be somebody else's dummy. And I was like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. 22 <laughs> year olds. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, that obviously is not really what it is in the practice squad world. I mean, I think in retrospect, after growing up a little bit, you realize that is sort of an on the cusp thing and there are opportunities there. But I didn't see it that way as a young kid. So I went back to school. So in 99, I still was under full ride scholarship at USD and I wanted to finish out my degree. Oh, cool. So I left camp. I left camp and uh, they have a designation sort of uh, where they kind of continue to hold your rights, like a futures contract kind of thing. And so 99, which would have been my rookie year, I went back to school. Uh, and so then, you know, Charlie's calling in like November and my agent's calling and they're saying, okay, do you still want to do this? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, hey, I do. And I graduated that fall. And then uh, I came back uh, the next off season in 2000, as if that were sort of my rookie season again. And then that's the year where I went all the way through camp and uh, thought I made the roster for the Rams, <laughs> got my playbook at the end of the fourth preseason game. And, uh, Went through the weekend, stayed at a hotel in Holiday Inn in her city and thought, hey, I made it. And uh, we got to like Monday-ish or maybe it was Sunday, sometime over that weekend where I thought I'd made the cut. I came to the team meeting, had my new playbook for the work for week one. And uh, there was a, uh, there was a, uh, an injury at one of the uh, receiver spots. And they came to me and said, hey, we're, we're, we're going to be a little thin. Uh, we're going to have to bring an extra wide receiver body in for week one. Basically, you must be number fifty-three. It's kind of what I learned, I think, in that moment. <laughs> yeah. I made it, but I'm, but I'm fifty-three. You know, I'm fifty-three and the fifty-three. So they they said, hey, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna put you on practice squad for just the week. We're gonna have to release you right now. Just took a little transaction, hide you, bring you back when this thing's done. I was put on waivers, and uh, Scott Pioli, you know, hired here at New England, claimed me. So what I thought was just wow. going to be a little, hey, it sucks you won't get to play in week one, but you'll still be on the team thing. Um, you're exposed to waivers. Anyone can get you. And uh, Scott apparently had been a had been an advocate of mine, have known more about me than I, and I had no interaction with the team prior with New England prior to them doing that. But um, so I was claimed. So then all of a sudden I'm on a plane up here and I played in week one with the Pats in 2000, Bill's first year. And, you know, I, I see I love Scott Pioli for all he did for my career, but it was a total surprise. So for me, and I, I, I know I spent a lot of time on that story, but the background there to what the Ram thing meant to me was, was kind of different. You know, the reason that the fact that we ended up playing though, that particular team in a one championship was, was cool for me because my, my story had kind of started with them, never really got going. Um, 
And it's no fault of their own. I mean, I, I think they were still, you know, high on me. But, you know, the Patriots do this a lot, too, where they'll expose the guy to waivers and hope yep. to keep him on practice well for a while and retain them. But the Rams tried to do that with me, and somebody else grabbed me. So I still kind of have a soft spot for that place. They were patient with me leaving, you know, leaving them yeah, <laughs> prior no to camp uh, and coming back. But uh, it just didn't work out, and I ended up in this place. And oddly enough, that, that ended up being who we played the Super Bowl. Wow. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, we tried to do some – some research on you before we did this and uh, none of that is in your wikipedia i have to say <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, it needs to be updated <laughs> yeah i think i know what i'm doing this so, afternoon so so what what was like were you a fan of a team growing up then so when you live in iowa i don't know if it's it, it's not something i think you'd understand as a new englander because you've got a team right you obviously mm. have the paths you yeah. go far enough south maybe you're Far enough south into you know Connecticut, maybe you're a Giants fan or something. But if you live in this region, there's there's generally a team that is affiliated with you. Uh, you know, even if you're out as far as Western Mass, I mean, you're you're part of New England. Right. You had a team. If you live in Iowa, you don't have a team. You kind of <laughs> Iowa is the Iowa Hawkeyes. I mean, Hayden Fry, you know that sort of yeah. storied uh, college place. Much like Nebraska, Nebraska Cornhuskers. They, mm. if you live in Nebraska, your pro team is your college team, kind of yeah, thing, like yeah. an Alabama type idea i was very much the same way so there's a lot of my friends uh i lived in sioux city sioux city iowa i was it's comparable size it's just short of a hundred thousand it feels a little worcesterish you know it's a very blue collar town okay, comparable yeah. in size i guess to that uh but we you know so you have just a blend of people because you kind of sit in the middle there are nfl fans but some are chiefs fans some are vikings fans some are bears fans some are oh, packers wow. fans you get enough. Uh, Sioux City actually sits in three states. It's Iowa, South Dakota, and Nebraska, mm. depending on what part of town you're in. And so the western portion, some of those people, because they sit in Nebraska, will be Broncos fans. So, wow. that's, again, another long-winded, long-winded way to Broncos. say you kind of don't have a team. Yeah, you you kind of just cheer for who you cheer for because we sit literally like in the middle of maybe four or five markets, you yeah. know, six hours yeah. in every direction. So I was a Raiders fan, which is kind of right. goofy, which has none, nothing to do with any of that. But uh, I was a big uh, – I like Howie Long quite a bit. Um, yeah. You know, he was a defensive lineman, stud guy that I, I just kind of dug his game. But I was a safety, number 42. Ronnie Lott wore that, obviously, for a yeah. while. Yeah. And yeah. I kind of dug Ronnie. And I was a big, tall, skinny kid that played safety initially before I got – I grew and became a linebacker. So, yeah, I was kind of a Raiders fan, which for me was, was neat because – my very first preseason game wasn't a regular season game, unfortunately. My first my first time where I got to wear an NFL uniform in game situation and go against another team, it was against the Raiders. Huh. My first preseason game there uh, for the Rams. So that was cool. Tim Brown's out there running around the field, and you're just oh, yeah. like, eyes are as big as saucers. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, that, was, that was a really, really cool day. So you're the second Raiders fan we've had on, and neither of them are yeah. from either Oakland or L.A. The other one yeah, we had weird. on, he got into yeah. the Raiders through hip hop, actually. Yeah, yeah, they got a brand through would, that. Yeah. So oh, what's sure. your? I, uh, I would, I would, I would say like starter jackets, guys, like oh, the satin jackets. And love the starter jackets. All through like that. I'm a you know '80s kid and yeah. early '90s and high school and all that. So like, yeah, Raiders were like one of those brands that, you know. Raiders, the Bulls were kind of that way too. Just like these are huge '80s, '90s brands that if you didn't have an affiliation, you probably were cheering for one of those just by default. Yeah, I think that was the Cowboys for me growing up. Cowboys for you? Yeah, okay, that, that yeah. Was, my, I, that was a little little behind you. Um, <laughs> okay. But yeah. So the, the Cowboys were the the team you rooted for if you didn't didn't watch football. I think. Right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, what was your connection to the Steelers? Since you clearly just went on like a revenge tour in two thousand one. Yeah, right. No, no Steelers love whatsoever. Yeah, I, I don't. You know what? I would say this, though. When you're like a kid from non NFL world, you know, like if you're here locally, uh, you can grow up in Framingham, you can grow up in Dorchester or whatever. You're a Franklin kid or whatever. You're from some small area here. You can maybe even if it's just once a year, once every two years, three years, four years or whatever it is, you can go to Schaefer Stadium or Patriot Stadium or whatever. Sullivan's all you can it. You can have sort of brushes with nfl life <laughs> you can go to an nfl stadium you can drive by an nfl stadium so you're around it at least you're aware of it uh, I, I out there like just even the sight of those iconic helmets like give you like you know like goosebumps like mm. you walk on the field and it's just that you know the old steel curtain look and it's just so cool when you're you know those are the things i've only seen on tv and i, I never had been to an nfl game in my life uh, oh, until wow. i played in one 
Whoa. So I like, yeah. <laughs> so when we, you know, when I had uh, gone up through college at the university of South Dakota, we have a school in our conference back then and the conference doesn't exist anymore, but it's called the NCC. So that was North Dakota state, South Dakota state, South Dakota, South Dakota state, all, all those schools, Northern Colorado was in there and Mankato, a lot of good hockey schools, St. Cloud state's a pretty good hockey program. Yep. Uh, and Minnesota Mankato, I think they're actually called Minnesota state now, but Mankato state had, had a team, um, in our conference, I was school in our conference and they have, uh, they host the Vikings training camps and have for years and years and years. And one time a year they get to play a home game and what used to be the Metrodome. So that was my one little brush with, I got to play a road game against Mankato in the Metrodome, but it sucked because they're, you know, the, the Metrodome's huge and there were like, two three four thousand fans in the stand so it yeah. just was like trickling down yeah. the front row kind of deal <laughs> terrible environment so it looks like a reds game that, yeah. yeah i was gonna say i've been to revolution <laughs> games like it. it's it's that it's that feel so yeah so my whole point of bringing that up is just when you are a kid like me without really any nfl sort of brushes you see a steelers helmet across me you see a raiders helmet across me you see a niners helmet a packers helmet i mean those things just it just it gives you the goosebumps. It's just such a cool thing. Even if you didn't necessarily cheer for one of them or cheer against. Them. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Did you have like a favorite away stadium to go to? Uh, so this is a, this is a corny as hell kind of story, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I still laugh about it because it was my one moment. So I, I played, um, I don't think I got to go to, uh, to Lambeau where the Packers are at until well into my career. I think I played there, ended up playing there a few times, maybe once or twice with the Jets. Mm. Uh, once, I think maybe just once with the Packers, with the Patriots. I was the Patriots for six years, and I feel like maybe we had one trip there in the six. I, maybe none. I know we played the Packers at home, yeah. but it, I hadn't been there a lot. So I feel like, you know, I'd been in the NFL for a handful of years by then, four, five, six years, something like that. And I think it was my first trip to Green Bay. And I think the first one was actually a preseason game. And we came back and played there later in the regular season. I think that's correct. But anyway, it was my first time in Lambeau, right? And that's, that's kind of like a big deal again to like a football fan, because yeah. even if you, you know, if you're ambivalent with the Packers thing, cheer for them, not cheer for them, still just being in Lambeau is kind of, you know, it's like a Fenway kind of thing for, for <laughs> baseball. So I, I just remember this is corny as hell, but back in the early days, uh, I, I'll give uh, Tom Brady, credit for this Brady was one of the very first guys that I knew uh actually our strength coach Mike Wojcik and Tom were the two sort of forefront guys uh, on this uh, that had iTunes libraries on their laptops this is before even like the iPod stuff got started but Tom had like iTunes library really really early he always be on his Apple and this is before Apple computers were really cool or new or whatever this was this was kind of just like the early days of Apple and Tom would be up at like ungodly hours downloading songs and making these playlists and this is you know during the 2000 season and this is like right when like ipod i think came out uh the, the ipod the handheld thing came out like after the 2000 season i think it was like the 2001 off season yeah that, that's and anyway so yeah somewhere in that range and you know i had like an extensive cd collection and cassettes and all that kind of stuff so we were all trying to download shit to our laptops and make these playlists but tom was like an assassin with his stuff like he was so into it and i was like ah, okay you know i got my i already have my cds i don't get this tom i don't really understand <laughs> yeah, what you're yeah. doing with these digital, i have my vinyls things. tom <laughs> <laughs> like, I have my vinyls. what are you doing so anyway he was like really really into that and i was a little late to the game but part of the incentive to get it on your ipod was because we had one of those attachments uh like a little adapter that would allow you to plug it into the to the weight room so the, oh, yeah. the, the Patriots weight room, you, if you could get your own playlist in there, you could sort of control the thing. And it's not because yeah. obviously Tom had seniority at any time like that. He was just a guy who had a playlist <laughs> and everyone else is fucking popping in a cassette tape or something. right? <laughs> so he did that and it kind of incentivized a lot of us to go out and like figure this shit out. So, so we went and buy, bought iPods. And I started to make my own stuff and ungodly amount of hours he'd spend where I remember, uh, what is that? The Ghetto Boys. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. I remember yeah. downloading that song overnight. My office was like upstairs in the loft, <laughs> and it would it was downloading the song. And from the time I went to bed, it took till morning to download like that <laughs> single song on like Naps Napster or whatever. Oh, yeah, was. And yeah. it would play. And you it better would, hope it was yeah, the right it, song it, 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 and not just the file that was exactly. named that way. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, this is the closest exactly. I've ever felt it, to Tom Brady in my life. I have to say. 
<laughs> and it would just it would just play like you know like I'd be sitting there and half asleep at one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, whatever, and it would pop on, and like the song's partially downloaded and it would start playing, yeah. and you wake up like what the fuck is it there? <laughs> but anyway, so I had I had this like I'd gotten to the point where I had you know had a pretty robust library, and had had my pregame playlist exactly as I wanted. It was still on that first first or second sort of uh, generation iPod. And I had it with me, and I always took it out to pregame warmups. And we were now in Green Bay uh, for this first time that I've ever been to Lambo. And Lambo's um, the walkway from uh, the locker room to the field is unusually long. Like Denver's a little bit that way in the new stadium in Invesco, but most of them, you know, you're 50 yards, maybe 100 yards. You, you know, you're you're close. Lambo has this weird like tunnel. The tunnel's really long and really steep, but then it kind of winds back through sort of the underbelly of the stadium. So it takes it takes like a, it's a long walk, and you're going through these sort of hallowed halls kind of feel. <laughs> and I just remember, I back at the time, I just had my iPod on shuffle, so no particular playlist ready to roll. It's just so every one of the 800-ish songs or whatever could possibly pop up at any moment. And I had hit play. And I started walking down this like windy thing. I don't remember exactly what song was on, but as I hit that, uh, as I'm walking anyway, but as I come down that final tunnel stretch and I pop right out the, the, the tunnel, you look and you see the field for the first time, um, looks like we made it pops on huh. that. Uh, who sings that? That looks like we made it. Who the hell sings that? Oh, uh, it's corn. It's corn corny as hell you know like 70s uh yeah, yeah, yeah. oh my gosh i built the whole i built the whole story up and i can't think of his name <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, that was kind of my like oh you know like the, the angels whatever kind of looks like we made it <laughs> and i'm walking out on the lambo uh and just uh, i will always remember that i just get a, a kick out of that and, and chuckle every time i think of it because the way the song timed up right as i hit this iconic sort of a uh, football venue barry manilow barry manilow there you go Barry Manilow. There Let's it is. Cool. And, uh, clear- yeah, we'll dub that into this. Oh yeah, there you <laughs> go. Post recording. <laughs> yeah, over over my singing. Yeah. <laughs> Please. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, South Dakota State. Uh, they were a rival of yours at the time. Is that right? Yeah. So so Vinatieri is a few years older than me. I think yeah. he was a senior when I was a, fr- a senior when I was a freshman, I believe, or either a senior sophomore, something like that. He's a couple years out ahead of me. And that's our rival, yeah. So South Dakota State, um, another guy you might may or may not know. This is going to take some hardcore NFL <laughs> fan this, but uh, Steve, Steve Hyden was a tight end for the Browns. Played about the same amount of years as I did, somewhere in that eight nine ish yeah, range, okay. something like that. I recognize that. Steve was Steve was alongside Kellen Winslow when he was there. So oh, Winslow yes, yeah. uh, Jr. Whatever his name, yeah. he was. Uh, Winslow and Hayden were their two tight end sets and Hayden and I are the exact same age. Uh, so he was at state all four years that I was at U. And so he's an NFL prospect. I'm an NFL prospect and we played against each other all four. So we've had a, surprisingly. So there was another running back, James white, um, James, like, oh my God, I just did that. Uh, <laughs> That's uh, I've heard of him. Why, why, yeah, I've heard of him. I've heard of him. Why can't I? I literally cannot think of the back's name. Holy shit. This is terrible of me. USD had another running back that was small, uh, kind of like James body uh, James body type. So the very, very similar that way. But anyway, oh gosh, it's so bad. I mean, to go on air and not know this, but it, we had a running back. that was really, really good. That went to South Dakota uh, from, from South Dakota that went to the Browns also around that time. And once again, this, you know, I'm sure that'll come to me later, but <laughs> point was, you know, we have a handful of, of NFL guys come through there. There's a, yeah. some brushes with uh, South Dakota. But you didn't have any beef with Adam when you're on the Pats? Not or really. I mean, I, I kind of give him a hard time now. Um, you know, he's a kicker, so I don't think he really get real, real into the whole like rivalry stuff. He just does his job, does it exceptionally well, obviously. But uh, I gave him some shit. Uh, so two years, I, so I, I call uh, games for ESPN. Generally, I'm up here uh, doing, you know, maybe uh, it used to be UMass games, then mm. BC, then Syracuse, UConn. I kind of stay regional. I don't travel much because of NFL obligations. But yeah. um, generally, I'm doing games up in this Northeast. And then when it comes to playoff times, I'll end up doing a UNH game, Maine, <laughs> uh, go down to James Madison, things like that. Uh, but we had uh, uh, two years ago, South Dakota State actually advanced to, I believe it was the final four of, of the FCS playoff sort of yeah. bracket. And uh, or maybe it was still just the final eight stage when I had this particular game. But anyway, they were down at a school called Kennesaw State, which is in Atlanta. 
and they have Kennesaw State has like a newish, like two, three, four year old stadium. It's oh. like one of those built the venue just for for soccer. So oh, they have yeah, like a yeah. minor league soccer team where they build those really cool sort of low sitting, but yep. like you know, brand new with like uh, eating decks right on top of the seats. It's really cool, really like cool that. little stadium. But South Dakota State was uh, actually their opponent, and for all these years where I, I do the the, the BCS stuff through the regular year, but then when bowl season starts, I don't do bowls. I do the playoff games. So I get into, I, I, I'm always wanting these assignments where, yeah, give me South Dakota state or give me North Dakota state the schools I used to do. And they never given to me. I always keep me with the Northeast stuff. <laughs> so I got a South Dakota state assignment. So I was really fired up about it. So I was, yes, texting Adam and been like, Oh, I'm going to talk so much shit on the air. Like I was going to do a <laughs> biased call, biased call in the history of ESPN. But no, I, I actually held my tongue and the, uh, the, uh, the head coach there now uh, is the same guy that was there when I was – the head coach of South Dakota State, the same guy as when I was there uh, years and years ago. And we have to do the coaches' conference during the week. And I, I – you know, so we did a co- coaches' call with the other broadcasters and the ESPN crew and stuff. And, and uh, I got on, and I kind of just bit my tongue and didn't say a whole lot. And he, 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 he came on and gave a little spiel and he entered, he said, hello, Matt. Oh yeah, of course. I remember you, Matt. We, <laughs> we kind of had a little, little coyote and jackrabbit back and forth, but then we had to dive into it. So I knew I'd, be, I'd sort of been put on notice that like, okay, I gotta, I gotta call this straight. <laughs> you know? well, I, mean, I mean, Zolak does that every Sunday, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was fun though. I, I went backstage. So like behind sort of the scenes, they always have a production uh, room where you, where food's available for crew and staff before any game really uh, at the NFL or college level. But I went down to sort of the, uh, the officials room and where all the food was being served. And I was going to grab a few plates and take it back up to the booth. And in the hallway is this whole crew of the South Dakota state cheerleaders. So there's, you know, 15 of these young girls and they're like blue and yellow stuff. And I'm like, they're not going to, these girls are young as shit. I'm in my early forties. I'm not going to have any idea who I am. Um, so I'm just going to ask them to take a picture and they'll recognize me with my, my little ESPN garb or whatever being down here that, Oh, it just must be one of the, the broadcasters or some random dude. So I asked them to take a picture and I, they all got around me and kind of arms around everyone. And we're all going to smile. And I said, on three, one, two, three, go Yotes. Now Yotes is the <laughs> South Dakota. Yeah, thing. Yeah. So none of the, you know, I had the, our producer or whatever, taking the photo. One of the guys was down there with me and I got them all to one, two, three, go, yes. And they, they were that and they all kind of gave me a funny look and it, it snapped and I sent it back to Adam and uh, had some fun with that. But, but unfortunately, once the game got going, I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious, obviously. I called a straight game. I would almost be accused of maybe being too complimentary for State on that. Uh, yeah, that's how it happens. It does. We have no love lost for uh, South Dakota State either because they beat the crap out of you too. Oh, really? Okay. Back in okay. yeah, okay. back in uh, 2017. Jack. Jackrabbits, yeah. Well, they yeah. Off, yeah. We that was the, that was the big thing. I think they've outlawed that now. They don't allow us to do it, but uh, they'd always we always there was always a dead rabbit every time <laughs> every time the schools play because uh, you know we're we're the coyotes. Oh, uh, very yeah. emphasis on, emphasis on coyotes. It's not coyote. That's that's it's. That's uh, sacrilegious to say that. It's, it's not the correct pronunciation. <laughs> so it's coyotes, not coyote. But anyway, we the, those that were actually, you know, it's like a natural predator kind of situation with coyotes and rabbits. So uh, any any one of those games, there's always a, a dead dead jackrabbit. And they're really big. It's not like your regular bunny. It's like a large yeah, jackrabbit yeah. thrown on the field. On the field, thrown on the field, thrown on the court, whenever we'd have any kind of thing. But I, I think they got in some trouble for that, probably an animal rights thing or something. Yeah, but it know. makes sense. I just, <laughs> I just made the realization that Yote in your Twitter bio is Coyote. Yeah. I was, yeah. was going to ask yeah. you about it, and I Googled it, no, that's and, it. And it said it was the past tense of yeet. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I don't Matt think Chatham is, is no. yeah, putting a past no. tense yeet. <laughs> no, that's not it. No, and, and I'm so proud of my school. I, I feel like I, I, grew, I, I grew up at the wrong time. Obviously, the Patriots stuff worked out swimmingly as far as timing there. But USD right now is, like I said, it's an FCS school. So it's comparable in size to the stuff, the schools we mentioned out here. Mm. But we have a dome that's called the Dakota Dome. And uh, it, it's... Uh, very similar. Gosh, but there's really, they don't really build them out here in the Northeast. It's, it, you know, the Metrodome was a bigger version of this back in that day, the Silverdome in Detroit, all these kind of 80s, 90s, uh, more 80s, 70s, 80s builds have kind of come and gone, but the Dakota Dome is still there. They put a solid uh, uh, 
ceiling over the top of it now, so it's not the old bubble top. Oh, yeah. But they're putting solid seating on both sides. So anyone who's bored and listening to this podcast, we got all this <laughs> we got all this time on our hands. When you jump jump off jump off here and go to uh, go to uh, I think it's like Coyote. Uh, I don't know USD's website, whatever that is, University of South Dakota's website. They've got like this stadium progression thing right now. They're putting solid seating on both sides, so now you've got this like twenty thousand seat gorgeous pack to the to the gills uh fcs program that looks like nothing in the country yeah. and i'm just like gosh i want to go i want can i go back to school like, <laughs> yeah. it's, been, it's it's sick i mean you're, you're obviously familiar with unh you know what yeah. that venue's like it's nice since they updated yeah, it's the same, though, bit. But yeah. yeah no it's not the same and uh main is is solid enough but it's you know it's just the big metal stands kind of thing right yeah. you see this venue and you're like holy shit that's a that's an fcs school <laughs> i mean i i do bc i do bc games you know yeah. regularly throughout throughout these years and you know that's alumni stadium but it's you know it's a 40-ish thousand state yeah. the aluminum stands kind of thing it's pretty basic this is sick you yeah. go, oh my god <laughs> i like, got it up on google I right want... now it's unbelievable yeah it's ridiculous and How it's is it supposed like... to be ready for the season but i don't know if it's going to be ready or not with all this stuff going on but I don't know if the season's gonna not. be ready yeah right true so you played when they built the new stadium as well for the pats what was that like like yeah, so my, locker rooms and all that yeah i think uh i had two seasons obviously at the old place so again with the contrast of the Rams stuff i, I started that first you know my first out of south dakota thing and you're in a division two school at the time so you know the facilities are nothing like the nfl so i'm all excited to go i'm going to the nfl it's first class and the, the Rams were in this place called uh, their training facilities in Earth City. So Earth City is like this gorgeous, uh, like, you know, full training facility out in the burbs kind of thing. So glass facility, racquetball courts, indoor field, uh, basketball court. Uh, you know, it's just gorgeous. Meeting rooms are sick. Like everything's really <laughs> nice. First class. The, 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 the field looks like a golf course. Like it's just like nothing I've ever seen in my life. And uh, I'm like, that that's the NFL. That's what it's supposed to be like, I guess, yeah. right? And then, you know, the dome is downtown, the TWA, TWA dome. And those are like the facilities that like, I've made it. I'm in the NFL. Yay, this is what it's supposed to be like. And then when I got released and you're shuffled off here and I I get, I get stayed out at the Westin uh, at the at the airport. So, you know, they, they fly into Logan, stay overnight at this really nice Westin next to the it's not a West End anymore. I think it's Hilton now. But anyway, the one right next to the airport. Oh, so it's like, okay, I'm in downtown Boston. This is cool. And this is a badass <laughs> hotel. This is nice. Okay. Drive down 95, 93 to 95. Going, yeah. We all do. Exactly. <laughs> and then I, I get out and I'm like, wait, that? Like, yeah. <laughs> like old, old Patriot Stadium. And it's like, ah, it's still, it's kind of a college bowl. So that's big. It's still big and that's cool and everything but and then i get instead of staying any more nights in the nice west end yeah. we're put up in the end zone ho the end zone motel across the street <laughs> from the stadium and uh god bless we had some really good times there the owners are really nice people at the time i think that's changed ownership but it's a shithole i mean it's not <laughs> like a really nice place but we had a you know party scene kind of motel but it did not have an nfl feel to it no um but then the stadium itself you know like you go into our meeting rooms were uh you know like the the chairs that have the the desk that kind of folds like a folding oh, chair yeah. with a folding oh, arm yeah. thing to write on like that's i mean with partitions like you would have at you know some office complex kind of thing like the rooms weren't really divided we had like the standing rolling partitions and oh, seats that roll up and like it was like i'm like holy shit this is the nfl like and for me i would say it, the facilities weren't that much better than what i knew at south dakota so <laughs> i was like, just gonna ask hell yeah. this? but yeah so there's two two good years of that though and uh, it was still cool on game day you know the stadium from the field looks pretty sweet but yeah. The facilities aren't nearly as nice, but then when they built the new thing, it was called CMGI Stadium. Before, yes, before the Gillette. The, you remember that the oh, Gillette yes. flip. Um, but I have a bunch of I have a box somewhere with a bunch of CMGI logoed stuff because that <laughs> you know announced launch. Their CMGI was yeah. written all over everything. They were like the the plates, the the like Yahoo of the Northeast at the time. I think like they were Something a big like deal, that. and then they they went under in the dot com bubble. Exactly. Yeah. So did, exactly. did so you do training camp at, at Bryant or was it at Foxborough? Yeah, I think I did two training camps at Bryant, maybe three. Um, at, at one point, Coach Belichick flipped it to uh, to uh, 
to up here and we we started staying at an extended stay or what are those called like the residence inn or something oh, like yeah. that oh, over yeah. in Foxborough so that we could you know so instead of the on college we were staying back here in the woods in Foxborough and then we'd mm-hmm. come over here and do it at the stadium but yeah we the, we were I think we got maybe maybe three or four camps here at, at the stadium and it's absolute night and day I mean one quick story from that I had so when I grew up out in South Dakota um, you know going to school at the University of South Dakota I grew up in Iowa but at, at USD um, we actually had two coaches. I had this uh, coach, Walt Hausman. House, we call him. House is a, a rock star legend. He's, uh, I don't know if you remember a few years ago, they had the L- LA Kiss, uh, that uh, the team that was owned by the band Kiss, and they had a reality show on one of those TLC or something like that. <laughs> oh, no, no, nope, haven't seen that. <laughs> uh, anyway, is it on uh, Netflix? Because I'm, I'm, I'm looking for shit to watch right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, it, I don't know. Maybe it's one of those ones you can find online, but it was one of those reality shows that follows an arena team around. And the whole joke, you know, it was like Gene Simmons owns a football team. And like, you know, it was uh, anyway, it was, it was crazy. But House was the defensive coordinator for that team. He's my old coach from way back when. But House is from New Hampshire. So House oh, has yeah. got the accent, not 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 hardcore East Boston, but like still a New England it's going to sound very New England to a South Dakota kid. So House is, you know, a South Dakota guy. And we had this other guy uh, that was a a strength coach. And uh, he was from out here and had much more of a, you know, very, very heavy Boston accent kind of thing. And so that strength coach was, so I'll get into the story quickly. So I'm at training camp at Bryant, like you'd mentioned. I'm out there on the field in 2000, head spinning, you know, it's, oh, it couldn't have been 2000. I'm sorry. It had to be 2001 because I missed training camp in 2000 because mm. I was in St. Louis. So my first, my first Bryant training camp, 01, I guess. So I'm out there on the field and the way it always works is you only do autographs. They kind of still do this now. You only do autographs with, uh, by position group. So they don't let, you know, they, today's running backs, today's linebackers, today's oh, tight ends, yeah. today's quarterbacks, whatever it is. So when you're walking off the field, coach, would encourage you it's like if it's not your day don't go over and do it because then everyone will be expected to dive in so they did it sort of in in sequences so I, I it was one of those days where I knew our group wasn't supposed to go over there so when it was our time to go we just had to walk off the field but you know a lot of people yell out to you and want you to come stop and sign something and this guy is yelling and again I'm some you know young guy not, I'm not the guy people's they were pining for their my autograph right but for some reason, there's this guy who had his shirt off, a uh, huge guy, <laughs> uh, shirt off the entire time, like, you know, like, uh, I don't know, Ray-Bans or whatever. Like, he's just like, he's just screaming my name throughout the practice, <laughs> big barrel-chested guy. He's chot hammered. Him, chot him, yeah, Probably. Chot him, chot him, chot him, chot him. Like, he's trying to get my attention the entire time. Although the linebackers are busting my balls, like, who the fuck is that that just just won't stop saying your name? And then when we went by, I I did I, I may have – I don't know if I waved or acknowledged, but I certainly didn't stop because we were told not to. Just, you know, I'm doing what I'm told. It's not our day. We can't stop this sign. Well, anyway, that guy – was Tom Jenkins, who was my strength coach at USD. Now, I had no clue that that was him. And so this is before, like, you know, I guess I probably had an email. Uh, So I'm getting a text message months later about why did you punk me in front of all my friends and why did you not acknowledge (laughs) me? And I'm like, like, what? Oh, Jenks, my bad, dude. So anyway, that was, that was like my, my, that, that, if you can imagine that voice in South Dakota, we had two hardcore <laughs> New Englanders throughout that, throughout my four years. So it was, uh, it was always a little piece of that in my life, even before I knew really what this was all about out here. He should have tweeted at you with like a big chunk of meat or something. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah. But again, this is, this is pre, this is pre social media. Oh, yeah. I maybe had a cell phone. Yeah. I probably had a cell phone in a one. Yeah. I probably like right towards the end of college, I think midway through college in like 97 or eight, I think I got my first, big chunky cell phone but it's not like you know you didn't text people really that much then and maybe it was an email but i don't fucking know i think my <laughs> wife and i shared an email when i first went to the nfl so it's like it's how do you get a hold of one another back then yeah, at least. yeah I, it it baffles me how we managed to do it get by with yeah. landlines and shit back then. <laughs> right right hey, by the way i'm looking up this la kiss and their jerseys are outrageous <laughs> outrageous yeah it's exactly yeah. what you'd expect if someone from kiss yeah. designed a uniform yeah oh yeah yeah and house walt houseman's his name house is a stud he was a yeah, really good offensive lineman i believe at iowa that went on to play for a couple of years in the nfl but his knees got got really jacked up but house was 
you know how reality shows are like they always try to hone in on a few of the big big personality guys yeah. and house is just wild the screamer <laughs> they just good good dude all the players love him probably has a dip in at all all times big cat lover like he's just he's a he's a very eccentric guy one of my favorite coaches of all time huh. really smart football guy but house was like this you know i'm again i'm coming from some two division two school and you know 15 20 years later there's this reality show with my old defensive coordinator on there and it's like oh well you should, you guys are getting to see what what i got to see this is hilarious oh he is from New Hampshire. We're from New Hampshire as well, originally. Uh, yeah, he's from Merrimack. Yeah, Walter, Walter yeah. Merrimack. Yep. There you go. Wow. He coached at uh, St. Anselm College, which is literally five minutes down the street from me. Yeah, House, I believe House is retired now, but uh, just a great guy. Good dude. Uh, coached all throughout Arena and then small college stuff with us. And yeah. Uh, man, I, I love it. He used to actually come up to Patriots camp. And uh, when, you know, the Arena is obviously trying to arena football is trying to pick at guys that look like may not make a roster, you know, mm. like there's something to them that can still play. They're good players, but they're going to get snipped on 53 and they might be a part of that next 10. Uh, so he was always, he was always up here in those later years evaluating trying to who, Hey, Chatham, who's, who's not going to make it, but do you like, <laughs> I love that stuff. It's great. It's like Kurt Warner, right? He was a, He's an Iowa guy too, isn't he? Did you yeah, did you interact Iowa. with him when you when you were at the Rams for that little bit? Very little. So remember '99s the that off season when uh, when the ACL gets blown out, right. uh, Trent Green's ACL gets blown out, and uh, so I, by my little story earlier about how when I left camp, that was I left camp uh, the week of the first preseason game. So this announcement had come right around that yeah. time. Had the little wow. meeting. Uh, I went through a practice or two after they told me that. Hmm. And uh, I stood there for the entire two and a half hours just watching, and I was furious, like I said, the old, whole emotional yeah, reaction yeah. thing. But anyhow, so I didn't actually uh, see the – it was Rodney, too. I think it was Rodney Harrison who went through through uh, Trent's knee. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah, in, that, that in that preseason game. In that preseason game, yeah. But that happened, I believe, a week or two into preseason, maybe the third week, something like that. So I, I missed that part. So. In fairness, the time when I was there, Kurt was just, you know, backup quarterback. And my draft class, uh, or my class, I wasn't, I was one of the undrafted guys, but uh, Joe Germain was in that group. You remember him from Ohio State? Yep. Uh, uh, Joe Germain was the other. Could he be the second? Could he be the third? So at the time I left, I really, you know, it wasn't the Kurt Warner story yet. So had a few interactions with him, but not a ton. But obviously a super decent guy. But yeah. I didn't get to see him be the kind of player he became until I was, I was finished. Yeah. He was the second best Brady undrafted Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's a, uh, that was another school. He went to the University of Northern Iowa, and that's another school sort of in the FCS, same conference as USD now. So oh, yeah. that's a competitor. But cool school. I, I went to there for a recruiting trip, and it was one of the one of my coolest uh, memories. Uh, there was uh, – you remember Offspring? You remember the band oh, Offspring? Yeah. From, uh, my first ever yeah, CD. But, uh, Ixnay on there the ombre. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that, uh, oh, I'm blanking on that one song. It, I'm, I'm terrible about bringing up song names, but you're not remembering the name. But um, <laughs> I remember on that recruiting trip, it was one of those, like, you know, almost like uh, Johnny Be Good, that old movie, like one of the sickest uh, recruiting trips I ever remember. You go into this house party after we'd left the game, and uh, they had actually opened the back door and then opened the front door. And they ran a uh, slip and slide all throughout the home, <laughs> and, and 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 they had kegs at one side where they had opened the tap of the keg and were letting that run down the slip and slide. So, uh, <laughs> what what whatever that song was from Offspring, that da 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 da, I'm blanking on it. it. Was it was the their hit early on there in the like keeping separated like maybe nineties? Yeah, no, not keeping separated. Uh, you'd hear it. You're gonna do. Well. Uh, whatever it is, uh, I, 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 <laughs> yeah. you, it will come up with it. But they they killed the lights in the house, and they started playing that song. And there's you know like 200 people in this old house, and they flip on the kegs, running down the slip and slide out from the back door, out the front door of the home, and people running through the backyard and sliding throughout the front of the house while that Offspring song plays. That that's how I remember Northern <laughs> Iowa. Not I'm like pretty sure that's how Greg's party. Easter just went too. <laughs> <laughs> just by myself. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I mean, we've we've kept you longer than uh, we told you we would. 
Um, boys, do you have any last questions you want to ask Matt before we mercifully let him go? I'm, I'm a yeah. little interested in like the build up to the Super Bowl, like that Super Bowl media week and <laughs> the extra sure, We didn't actually talk about the Super Bowl, did we? <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. We didn't get that part. That's fine. <laughs> That's all right. I, I had all the time in the world. Unfortunately, I do have all the time in the world right now, I think. Uh, but. <laughs> So I, I, well, I'll just say this. It was weird, uh, especially getting to, to experience the next two and, you know, the pace of the week, you know, based on the one we had Houston and Jacksonville, those next couple, that's kind of what it's supposed to feel like. Mm. But you'll remember I, the Rams had a, an incredible advantage, I would say, not incredible, but, but a, a nice one because they won at home against the Eagles to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. We won on the, we won on the road against the Steelers. And you'll remember this is the 9-11 year. So yeah. we'd lost a, a week, we've lost a week of uh, the season where the NFL paused things during the year. And uh, when we lost that week, the, basically what was chewed up was the, that extra week of the Super Bowl. So yeah. there wasn't two weeks. There's just one. So when you went on the road against the Steelers, I want to say the AFC game was the afternoon game. I believe it, yeah, was, it uh, was on that, on that Sunday. Yeah. So, you know, we're, clin- we're clinching early evening and we're having our trophy party uh, there on the field. And then we got to hop on a plane and, and fly back to Foxborough and then go to New Orleans the next day. So, Jesus. you know, if, if you're St. Louis, you beat Philly, you're at least homes. And mm. then the guys all go back to their houses, grab their bags, and you probably meet the next morning. You take off on a flight for New Orleans. We had to fly back. So we had to fly back in the middle of the night, you know, obviously the drinks are flowing, we're having a blast, you know, you're, you're making it to the Super Bowl work, but we have to, you know, late night flight from Pittsburgh back to New England, but everyone's got to be back the next morning with their bags packed at the stadium mm. and ops is, you know, the, the guys that work on operations over the team are trying to put together a Super Bowl plan on the fly. Uh, but I just remember being, you know, maybe asleep a little on the plane or maybe not, but you're arriving back in the middle of the morning you got to go home, pack a bag for an entire week's stay in New Orleans, and you're back at the stadium maybe at noon. I don't remember exactly the times, oh. obviously, but something like that. Like the flip is so quick, and now you've got your bags packed for a week. Coach Belichick's coming in with his itinerary that they've probably put together on the flight, I guess. I, I don't know when one would have time for all that. but And then we're turning around and jumping on the jet and, and going to New Orleans. So it was quick. It was a whirlwind. You did not really have an opportunity to let it all sink in. But then that evening, in, I think Monday night, uh, we, I, I would imagine we touched down maybe sometime that afternoon or something like that. We went, there was a group of 10, 12 of us, something like that. Um, Emerald Lagasse was, uh, has this restaurant called Nola and had, was hosting a handful of us. And so we, you know, we ate at, at, at Emerald's place and he kind of hosted the dinner. It was really cool. You know, again, you're kind of like celebrity eyes, kind of yeah. like just, had spent on like getting to do all these cool things but we went there to nola's real quick had a really great dinner that night with a handful of guys and then we're down to bourbon street uh for kind of our one night out because it's the one night where you don't have a, a curfew or whatever and you kind of just let, let loose and a bunch of the rams guys are down there as well i think larry larry flint's i know this is obviously not a highbrow place but larry flint's has <laughs> one of those sort of uh uh bal- balcony hangover uh bourbon street kind of places with beads and all that stuff so a bunch of those guys were in there which some of my old friends from from st louis and then a bunch of us after leaving nola's went up there and we kind of hung out a little bit it's kind of weird the two teams are kind of interacting down on bourbon street the night before it all gets going but it was that quick though that you just basically arrived there after i mean shoot it was 24 hours from um, we're sitting at dinner at nola's 24 hours from when we were in the stadium in (laughs) pittsburgh the day before right and after having gone back to new england and back again and then you have your wild night out there, got pretty popped. And then <laughs> the next morning, the next morning you're doing media day. So that, that whole in, in the stadium the pictures. Yeah, it was that fucking quick. So that's what Tuesday was. And then you're into Wednesday practice week. So all I remember about, I don't remember a lot of the details other than just like little <laughs> anecdotes like that. Cause it happened so freaking fast. So that's, that was one of the ones where when people, I'll remember stories like, individual things that we did in Houston or in Jacksonville way better than New Orleans. New Orleans was like, whoa, that came quick. Like I just, you know, you're into a game plan, like basically the very next day and just trying to get up to speed really quickly and play a game. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. It doesn't so, take a lot of time to uh, study that Rams walkthrough tape either, you know, all their practices. <laughs> exactly. Steve. It's almost as if that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't. I read that article on The Athletic that you wrote about that. So I was like, we got to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it just, it drove me nuts, especially since I have a lot of respect 
independent of that one situation with a lot of those guys in the, in St. Louis that bought into it. And I don't know why they did, but I can understand that when you, you know, when you've had disappointment and loss that you would want to believe that something like that was at the heart of it, but it, it just, it's just not true. So, and that's a crazy thing. Like, you know, we just, uh, it was such a quick week. And uh, I think one of the things that when people wanted to find a way of how are we so good on defense, you know, we must have known something, right. we must have had some secret, blah, blah, blah. Like it was so incredibly helpful for us to have played them really tight and lost at that. You know, remember that home game that we had yeah. with them in November, December, what it was with the Rams. Mm -hmm. That was so helpful to kind of flesh through what really worked for us that we could now build a game plan around it. Also look at, you know, all the times the Rams have been just smoking people um, and allowing their receivers and backs and tight ends to just run off the line untouched. That was to me, one of the first real hardcore Belichick game plans that was, you know, really what won it for us. If, if you'd, if we'd have, adop if we'd adopted a different game plan and we had done something comparable to what you'd seen all the other teams that had tried to slow them down do, we probably got beat, you know, but mm -hmm. we, it, it took a, a very particular approach to beat those guys. And coach taught it to us again in the sort of expedited manner because it was such a quick week, but it was like, you can't, you can't learn everything in this environment. You just can learn here quickly what you can't do. They can't free release off the line. You know, Ernie Conwell, stud, big blocking tight yeah. end, very athletic. And uh, Williams, the other tight end, they, they've got really good athletic tight ends. And all those receiver groups, from Isaac Bruce to my draft class uh, or my rookie class, uh, Torrey Holt. Yep. And, uh, you know, uh, Horn, I think Horn was still there. Uh, blanking Paul. on the other third receiver's name. But Rick, Ricky Polk, well, obviously oh. Polk, yeah. Obviously Marshall and Ricky Prohl. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just an incredibly talented group. If you let them build on you and, you know, get easy releases off the line and make their break at 12 to 15 yards, they're going to murder you. But if you beat them up at the line, you know, that's, I don't know. It's just, it was one of the first times where we, where I think approach won a game that I can, that I'm aware of. I mean, I'm not a big NFL historian guy, but it was just yeah. how incredibly important the approach that we adopted, you know, play to play that role in the outcome. Well, I mean, it was yeah. similar to Belichick's game plan against, um, the Bills when he was the defensive coordinator yeah. for the the Giants too. I think that's he basically the told them that they wanted Thurman Thomas to run for 100 yards, and if he did, they would win the game, sort of thing. Oh, wow. it, it had shades of that at least. Shades of that. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> to me, anyway. I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> Do you have any like uh, guys you played with that you still keep in touch with? Do you have any like really close friends on the team? We're talking Patriots stuff. Patriots, yeah, Jets, anywhere around the line. Patriots, yeah. So I, I would say the, the the group of guys that uh, that stays in touch the most is really your position group. So you know, mm -hmm. it, Larry Izzo is one of my good buddies, and Iz and I were obviously together here for 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 five of those six years. And Iz has gone on to do uh, a lot of different things in coaching. You know, he was a special teams assistant at the, for the Giants for several years before he got his first coordinator job uh, with the Texans, had that for a few seasons, and now he's the assistant up in Seattle. And it, it does kind of suck having, you know, one of your boys that was you were tightest with uh, live on the other side of the country. But, you know, so we just kind of, yeah, you're unfortunately forced to keep contact through texting and, and stuff like that. We but, recommend you know, yeah, starting a I'm podcast because – well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> that's literally what we did. It, and everybody it helps. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, I mean, it's generally that. It's for, I'm fortunate that, that a few of the guys still live around here. Patrick Past was, he's my, uh, Patrick's my, uh, my neighbor on virtually everything I did as a pro at special teams. So on the kickoffs, I'm the L3. Patty, Patty is the L2. So he's oh, right, right next to me on, on punt team. I'm the guard. Pat's the tackle. So Pat and I were kind of like, uh, I don't know, wing my wingman or whatever, something like that. And just about everything we did, we were always alongside one another, coordinated really well together. So Patty still lives down here in Rhode Island. I think it's a Lincoln guy. Um, so I do see him some, you know, I wish saw more. Joe Andrews, he's local. Uh, Copen has got his place down in, uh, in East Greenwich. He opened up that line cider brewing place. So oh, he's right, yeah. incredibly busy with that. Yeah, uh, Cope isn't doing as much media anymore. He dipped his toe in that, did for a few years of media but he's really involved in that brewery and it, it sounds like it's pretty badass. I usually just, I actually physically haven't been down there, but I've, I've gotten cases of his stuff. It's really good. So highly recommended if anyone's going down there that line, Cope's got his hands on that stuff. But yeah, Russ Hochstein, Russ Hochstein is a, is a Nebraska kid. Yeah. Uh, went to the university of Nebraska and uh, grew up in Hardington, which is a town not too far from where I was in Sioux city. But Ho Ho Hochstein is, I'd say Russ is kind of the, 
preeminent example of what happens to a lot of guys in the NFL. You go to your host city or you know the city that you kind of grew up in. You settle there. Russ is two towns away, and I see Russ once or twice a year. <laughs> and he's a great dude. We get along really well. Our families get along great. But you just you just end up. I live in Rentham, and I basically see Rentham people now. Yeah. So it's, it sucks. Like oh, they're you know yeah you. Know, it's, you know, Kay Falk was here for years, but then now he's moved back down to Louisiana. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, that's I, think I've, I think I've, I think I've, oh, Fourier is obviously doing radio. So he's local. Yeah. Um, probably, who else, who else is still here? Wiggins it's kind of it. Too, and right? we're, yeah, Wiggy's still here. Yeah. Obviously he and I, he and I worked for, for years together on Nesson, but now yeah. he's, he's doing all radio and no TV anymore. So, I, but I, I, all those names that I mentioned, we're all around here, but we're all kind of live in different towns. We see each other a little, but not a lot. Hmm. Brewski's obviously here, Brew, but Brew is down in Bristol a few days a week, but he lives in North Attleboro, so he's not too far away. So, you know, yeah, honestly, even though you're here-ish, it's, I think we talk through text messages more than we do in person, which is, I think, just more life. Than yeah, anything. I think that's a yeah. common thing, right? So, I mean, we have to ask the obvious question of like, do you have the phone number for Troy Brown? <laughs> Troy uh, Brown, yeah. He's our, he's we, our we were, uh, Yeah, because we are the Browns. Um, we, we also, oh, we yeah. were discussing this last night, we we're going to ask you, and then we got a discussion, does, is Troy Brown the type of guy that actually has a cell phone? Because he strikes me like he may <laughs> yeah, not. Yeah, I definitely am not going to be able to give that one out. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, yes, he has. So, yeah. Like how how early was he on the uh, iPod train? Ooh, I don't remember. So okay, so I have to be uh, deliberate here, and and so the 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 groups don't lift together necessarily. So that uh-huh. my whole thing was the lineback the linebacker group. Sometimes D line would go in with us as well. Maybe tight ends because we're like mid. I think we're called the what do they say? Lightweights, middleweights, heavies, or something like that. So I think we're always in the middle group. So the receivers and maybe the running backs and the DBs and stuff, they all work out together. Quarterbacks are with them. And then the middleweight stuff, which is us, linebackers and, and maybe the D-line. Now D-line's more heavy. So mostly linebackers and tight ends and maybe the fullbacks or whatever, we work out together. So uh, whatever Troy music Troy's listening to, we're probably not in lifting groups right now. So it's just more – it's more your body type guys, us, us middles. Like. He's probably listening to classical. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's a, he's a, he's a, you know, he's from West, went to school in West Virginia. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know Troy's musical taste necessarily. I can't. I can't <laughs> Foiled. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Greg, uh, you wanted to ask about Brian Cox, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, just from watching all the games in 01, he's like one guy that like stood out as someone that like it didn't jump to to mind like looking back, but when we actually go through watching the games, you're like, wow, Brian Cox is electric. Like just from like a personality standpoint and just, and from a play standpoint too. Um so Yeah, he had a he had a really interesting role on that team and something that uh so uh, Brian wasn't there in 2000. The 2000 team was a team that was five and 11. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the exact number was, maybe half. It seemed like half, maybe it wasn't quite that dramatic, but there was a real house clean from between 2000 and 2001. So Cox was one of those new off season free agents in the one crew. Roman Pfeiffer was the other one. So mm-hmm. Fife is a stud, really just a tremendous pro, really lucky to have, have played with him all those years. But Fife came in and Cox came in. And those are kind of the new two new additions to the linebacker room. And uh, Andy, remember Andy Katzenmore had had those neck mm-hmm. problems, so yeah, Andy was yeah. having surgeries and his career was ending. It was kind of all happened around that same time. Cox was coming in as Andy was kind of going out, and uh, I believe T.J. Ted Johnson, who's you know obviously a really good player for the for the organization for years, but T.J. had had I think it was his bicep thing then at the time. I don't he remember, was but I, he was. I thought they said it was a back. Thing he was maybe? a little bit. Maybe, yeah. He was a little banged up at the yeah. time Cox came in, so it was timely that Brian could pop in and play Mike linebacker. And that was at the days before Brewski was a Mike. Brewski was more of a will, mm-hmm. in other words, a weak side linebacker. So your Mike is traditionally your big hammer guy, and Cox is tall. I think he's, we're about the same height, six four five type guy. Uh, but Brian was heavy. Like he was, I mean, he was like what I weigh now, unfortunately. But <laughs> he was like two, I mean, he was like 260 type, and I was more of a 250s type. But Cox was just one of the thickest um, on-contact 
heaviest hitters, at least at a linebacker that I'd ever really been around. And and the crazy part is Brian was pretty shitty in the weight room. And I, I, I joke really? that because he was such a <laughs> he was such a he's such an absolute animal on the field. Yeah. Which was always a good was always a good, you know, reminder that it's not just the weightlifter guys that necessarily hit the hardest or play the best or anything huh. like that. And Cox is a preeminent example of that. He was really poor at, at things like bench press and things like that, which you wouldn't huh. expect because he was an huh. absolute assassin on the field but yeah. uh, the reason I said his, his role was unique is Brian was kind of like the much much older vet when he was brought in on one and he was kind of a you know I don't know uh, speed dial to the front office kind of guy like Bill would have him in you could tell a lot to how are things in the locker room mm. and you know he was sort of meant to be kind of the the go-between and uh, enforcer a little bit you mm. know and so uh, Brian I actually had a little tension uh, because I'd gotten in trouble for a couple. I had two personal fouls in one game against the Broncos early. Oh, yeah. And uh, Cox had – that. Co- yeah, coach had, laid in, coach had laid into me in post game, and then Cox said something to me in the locker room, and we, you know, and didn't get the blows, but it was tense between he and I. And I, I'm telling you this because I, I love Brian. He's a great yeah. guy. And uh, that we were tense then and because he was the – sort of the older guy towing the line of the coaches and I was a just leave me the fuck alone time to try and sort <laughs> my job here. I'm not trying to fuck up. It's just, you know, I had a couple of bad calls. Um, but anyway, so it, it's funny because then as I grow and become a vet and then Cox moves into coaching, Brian was my coach. So he was oh. in New York when I was in New York. So oh, B right. Cox was brought yeah. down there with, he was brought down there with Mangini. So it was funny because that one year Cox was, you know, you know, the hit he has against, uh, Indianapolis that really turned the tide of that game one of the big yeah. blow-up shots over the middle and uh you know Cox was just such a, a stud for that early group of us an emotional leader kind of guy but he was also I think one of the biggest lessons I got from Brian was his toughness and just that he played with one of the worst injuries I've ever seen he basically had a broken foot yeah. and when you break your foot you can't fucking run uh, and he would put you know, like you'll see offensive linemen, they'll do that like club thing where they put the giant club on a hand mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe it even, maybe it's even a closed fist and they don't have fingers and they're able to, you know, they're able to play a semblance of their normal game. Cox did that with a foot. And like, I've never, what? I've never seen that before. Like he's getting a <laughs> shot up. If you look at the way he had it taped, his foot was like a club foot. Like he had so much tape on his ankle and he, it, or foot, I don't know exactly where the break was, but he had a break somewhere there down in his foot. And he was so big, you know, in the mid-season and late season with us. But he wasn't really healthy, yet played through that thing, through the playoffs. And I want to – if I recall, I don't think he had much of a role in the Super Bowl. I think by then he was – it was a little more reduced because he was so fucked up yeah. physically. But I just remember, you know, I went through some things later in my career. I had I, – I shredded my toe. I had a, a sesamoid tear. Basically, like, you know, when someone has an ACL reconstruction, I kind of had one of those for my foot. Like I absolutely shredded my foot and I used to have to take a pair of shoes and get a new pair of shoes for each game and have to cut a little X out of the side. So my sesamoid joint could stick out the side of my shoe, like, cause there's not enough room in the shoe for width. Like my, I mean, I had a fucked up toe. Like I basically shouldn't have been, shouldn't have been out there. was getting it shot up and was just limping along. But I always remember, you know, I, I like thinking, okay, Brian played with his broken. I've got a stress fracture. I've got a badly dislocated toe. I can barely walk, but I do remember as an older playing going, okay, you know, fucking Brian got out there and B. B Cox went out and played on a broken foot. And I was similarly limited. You could tell B Cox was limited too, but his whole thing was off the ball, middle linebacker by that point. He's like, I can still take three hard strides and hit the shit out of the guard in front of me. I can't cover anyone at this juncture. I can be able to pass rush, but what can I still do with my body limited this way? And I just, I don't you know, always was a good example for me because I remember he figured it out. He played through the pain, take what you got to take to get out there. And I had a very similar situation to that later in my career that I had to deal with. And I always kind of thought back to how Cox was a little bit inspiring that way. But um, yeah, no, he was, he was an important guy uh, in those, in those, in that one run because he was a very emotional leader. And uh, he dealt with a lot to get to game day himself. And his role kind of ebbed and flowed like a lot of guys have happened. But, uh, you know, I was glad I got to play with him there. And even though there was a little tension early on <laughs> and he got to be my coach later on, it ended up being a guy that I that I really respected. Yeah, because I remember, I think he got, it was like a chop block or something against the the Broncos is, is how he broke it. Because uh, he was all yeah, fired ended up. Yeah, 
Yeah, swinging on the guy because he just dove at his feet. I absolutely yeah. remember that. Yeah. He was in the Broncos yeah. game. You're right. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. But yeah. then he came back like five weeks later, and we were talking about it. We had no idea how that was That's possible right. to come back yeah, from we a broken were. leg in five weeks. Because <laughs> he came back. Yeah. I think the, yeah, you're right. We were talking about how he came it back. Been, it might even been the leg, yeah. Yeah, he, he came back quicker from that than Terry Glenn did from his hamstring. I believe is what. Yeah, I, <laughs> hamstrings suck, man. Though I, I hate those things. I, I've, I've gone through that because it sounds like such a, it sounds like kind of a pussy injury. Oh, your hammies. But like once you pour in one of those things, they never heal. And if you happen to have a job which requires you to open up, open up and go full speed. Yeah. I covered kickoffs obviously for my whole career. Hamstrings suck. Like you, like you would. You literally <laughs> rather just break the arm, break the arm, break the bone, clean, clean break, let it heal. Hamstrings are kind of those things where you get a tear in them where they start to open up and they never heal and you can't run and it's just you know oh my yeah. hammy it just yeah, sounds yeah, like yeah. something that's not like as cool as like i broke my leg or i <laughs> you know i separated my shoulder or something like yeah, hamstrings sound terrible i pulled the muscle but it, if you no, i don't know i just know it I, I i dealt with that one season and for my job you have to sit over there sit over sit over there then run down and cover a kickoff and maybe oh, play Jesus. a few plays on defense and it's just when your hammies are jacked up it's not it's not good so i can imagine being a guy like that where you have to run 40 yards downfield, oh, run yeah. back to the huddle, run 25 yard out cut, and then go down to 15. Like if your hammies are jacked up, it's it's a pain in the ass to say that much. Greg, don't you have hamstring issues? I have no, I have like knee tendonitis stuff. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I thought it was hamstring. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so I've been giving you crap for hamstring issues for no reason. Yeah, my apologies. <laughs> Greg, Greg used to play soccer at uh, UNH, so he's the oh, closest nice. thing we have to a match Chatham in our family. <laughs> there you go. UNH is UNH is a cool school, man. I I'm just uh, I I'm I'm sad that they didn't have uh, the hockey season got cut short because I've 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 I try to do uh, hockey East hit like as many venues as we can a year because my kid's uh, 11 year old kid, a really good hockey player, and oh, nice. we don't get up the bees game very often, so we try to hit every venue we can in the hockey season. UNH is one I haven't hit. I've never been up to to Maine's. I don't think I've been, I haven't been to Merrimack yet either. I think we had hit just about everything, and this was going to be the off season where we we're going to kick off those last few, yeah, yeah. and then the season got got stunted. So. Oh, best laid plans, right? There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, Matt, uh, we've <laughs> we've taken we've, plenty of your time. Yeah, right? <laughs> so I, much I for a twenty minute accurate? interview. I, is that accurate? I th- I think I took your time right. too. No, no, no. I just. Just talking, talking, talking. talking. I, I took the day off today because what the hell else am I going to do with PTO this, commitment, year, Andy. this year, you know? Yeah. I, I am good to go. <laughs> oh, I'm wor- I'm working today. <laughs> You're on the clock right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, I have no other – nothing else on my list that, that I want to bring up. Well, let's, let's shout out is uh, the, the Razor Show, right? That's your uh, podcast, yeah. Matt. Yeah, so the yeah the the Razor Show on the Athletic is is up, but we haven't done any episodes since the offseason, Rex. So it's Jeff Howe is there now. Obviously, Jeff Howe is our our lead reporter guy, and I'm the analyst. Um, but uh, the Razor Show has been, I think we did one episode after the Super Bowl, and it's kind of sat dormant. So if you're bored and you want to go listen to the episodes <laughs> from last year, they're up. But we haven't been we haven't been Razor Showing uh, this offseason yet. So. Nick Underhill was the other writer, obviously, up with us at the, at the Athletic, and Nick has now moved back down to New Orleans. So oh, it's just Jeff and I right now, and we're we're not doing much. I'm just an in-season writer, so I'm not really doing a whole hell of a lot right now. But if you're bored and you want to go look at old stuff, it's <laughs> it's all there archived. Let's put it that way. Yeah, we'll throw a link in the show notes for that. Yeah. All right, Matt. Still doing Nesson. Nesson's the plug. There you go. So Nesson is uh, – we're I think we're actually starting to – well, but this is going to be – the show will be shown later, so maybe not by then. Maybe by then we'll actually be on on TV again. Who knows? But right now we're just doing the from home stuff. So. <laughs> oh man, beautiful! Ooh. All right. Uh, well, thank you again, Matt. This has been fantastic. I'm yeah, it's been awesome. Myself. And, uh, yeah, it's my pleasure. On. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah. My pleasure. All right, now take All care, right. guys. Take All care. Right, take it Thanks. easy. Bye now. Bye.